Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. So, so glad that you came to church today. Um, it is good to uh, remember how um, beautiful it is to know Jesus, to sit in his presence, to remember that he sustains us and carries us and loves us, that he's made a way for us, that because of Jesus we have access to the Father to bring all of our needs and to do what the Bible says, to cast all of our cares upon him. It's good to come to church also because we have a chance to be with our spiritual family. We have a chance to be with the people who love us and, and do their best to show us unconditional love and do their best to show us grace when we need it. It's good to be with people who will love us and cheer with us on our best days of victory and love us and cheer with us and sit with us and encourage us on our deepest, darkest days as well. It's good to be today to come and sit under God's Word. Let me just remind you a little bit about the Bible. The Bible is not just a historic document. The Bible is just not a collection of principles and belief statements. It's not just a list of rules. Uh, You've probably heard it called a love letter before. Um, It is indeed that. But more than anything else, this is God revealing himself to us. And passed down for all these generations, the people who wrote the words of the scripture that we have collected in this thing called the Bible, we believe by faith that they were empowered and led by the Holy Spirit in the very writing of those things, so that they are not merely the words of men, but they are the very words of God. The scripture says that all scripture is God-breathed. Meaning this isn't just stuff that some man came up with. This is what God got into their hearts and said, write this down. And God's revealed himself and he wants to show you Jesus more clearly today. I know many of you already know Jesus, but through his word, he wants to show you Jesus more clearly today. Through his word today, I know a lot of you already know that God has a lot of promises that he has made, but God wants to show you more promises today. God wants to lift you up today. God wants to help you to see that he's bigger than whatever you're facing. Through his word today, God wants you to see him. So as we come this morning, there's a lot of good reasons to come to church. Amen? I'm so glad you are with us. We're beginning a brand new series today that's called Devoted, Living a Life as Disciples of Jesus. What does it look like to live as disciples of Jesus? Here we are as a a young church, and a lot of us come from different backgrounds and experiences, and we have a lot of understanding of things, but we need to sort of lock down and get all of our hearts aligned on what biblical discipleship is all about. Jesus came and he called people to follow him. And then right before he ascended back to the Father, he gave a great commission. And many of you already know it by heart. And he said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples of all nations, of all people, baptizing them and teaching them. Disciple is our descriptor, that's who we are, and disciple-making is our charge. And if that's true of us as a church, we're a community of disciples, and if our charge and challenge and commissions is to make disciples, we need to be really clear about that. Why in the world are we doing this series? Because that's who we are, and we need some definition and description on what discipleship is. And in addition to that, we are really eager 
to be clear about our task so that you and I end up in heaven someday and the Lord says, well done. You didn't just spend a lot of energy, spend a lot of time, spend a lot of money making yourselves more comfortable as a church. You were really committed to fulfilling the great commission of making more disciples. That's why we're going to spend a couple of weeks together talking about devoted. What is it to be a disciple of Jesus? So what is a disciple? Think about that for a minute. Let that word bounce around in your brain for a minute. What does that word bring to mind? What is a disciple? Think about it. We don't have that term used a lot in modern culture to, to refer to uh, disciples. It's something that, that, that may be even like one one hundredth of the true meaning, it would be the word fan. <laughs> you got some fans of certain music artists and some fans of, of certain uh, authors and some fans of, uh, of certain actors or actresses. And, and you've got some fans, but, but a fan is not what a disciple is. But a fan sort of like, you know, there you have your regular fans and then you have your watch out for these slightly crazy fans, right? I mean, you have people who take fandom to a whole new level. They're like, you know, I've been to 17 concerts with this person and I have all of their music, but more than that, you know, if you go into my room, my room is decorated with posters and pictures of all of them and, and I'm, I'm, I'm planning to, you know, get married to a song uh, by this artist. I mean, somebody who's just really, really all caught up into that. They've really committed to that artist. They really love that artist. They're really devoted to that artist, but that's not even close to what it looks like to be a disciple. In the old days, in the ancient Near East, you had lots of people having disciples. You had some of the religious teachers of the day. They all had disciples. And what that was, was, was a, a student would come and, and to say, I'm going to attach myself to this leader. I'm going to become a learner. That's the primary definition of the word disciple. A learner. A pupil. A student. I'm going to sit underneath them. I'm going to attach my life to their life. And I have a goal in mind. My goal is to listen. My goal is to watch them and observe them. My goal is to absorb from them. My, learn, my goal is to actually, the best I can, to become like them. To start thinking like they think. To start reacting like they react. To start living like they live. And in the ancient Near East, all kinds of people had disciples. And so this concept of the 12 disciples or Jesus calling disciples wasn't a radical uh, concept. That was going on all over the place. But think about this for a minute. This is not just a fan who likes Jesus. This is not just a fan who would even say, you know, I've got all of his quotes on the wall of my ancient Near East house on papyri. This isn't just a fan. This is somebody who said, I want to attach my life to him and I want to follow him. Oh, he's, he's going to leave Galilee and he's going to go down to the other areas? Okay, I'll move. We don't know whether we're staying at the Holiday Inn Express or the Four Seasons tomorrow night for our lodging. Okay, I'm in. We're not sure if we're going to be well received in the next village. Or if they're going to throw stones at us and chase us out of town, I don't care. I want to attach my life to his life. I want to become a student of Jesus. I just want to sit there at his feet like we just sang. I want to absorb. I want to watch. I want to start thinking like he thinks. I want to start reacting like he reacts. 
I want to be like him. Discipleship in the ancient days was generational. It was generational. Somebody might say, you know, Kyle Dunn is a, is a pastor leader of a church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And he is actually a, a disciple of um, several leaders in his life, several mentors in his life. And those leaders all had mentors and leaders in their lives. It goes back and back and back of people they learned ministry from and taught them how to take care of the church and to love the flock of God and all of those things. And then Pastor Kyle has got some, some young men and women that he has been involved in training and discipling and leading and teaching and instructing and coaching and helping them understand what ministry is like. And it's just this generational thing. And the same is true for your life and mine as disciples. We were not meant to follow Jesus and keep it all to ourselves. A disciple reproduces. A disciple has every intent of absorbing and learning and becoming like him so that you have the opportunity to make more disciples. That's our commission after all, isn't it? So a disciple has this thought, I'm not just going to swell up with Jesus for my own enjoyment. I'm not just going to absorb all I can absorb so that I can refine my character. I'm not just going to sit under his teaching so that I can really, really put all of the deep truths of God down deep in my heart and make me deeper and more mature and more spiritual and more Christ-like just for me. No, I want to become like Jesus so that I can tell more people about Jesus and make disciples. And I pray that each of you has the privilege of falling more deeply in love with Jesus and out of the natural overflow of your love of God that you tell someone else in your world about Jesus and they meet Jesus and then you have the privilege of sitting down with them and going, yeah, the Bible has two testaments. I don't know if you knew that. And yeah, you know how the Bible talks about there's Father and Son and Holy Spirit? It's not three different gods. It's one God, three persons. Yeah, it's confusing. And yeah, the Old Testament stuff, that was from a long time ago. And then there was the cross and then Jesus came. But the Old Testament still matters. We got some still stuff we can, we can pull out of there and learn from there and live from from there. Let me show you the book of Psalms. You may, you ever, it's, it's pronounced Psalms, like Psalms. Not, you, the P is silent. That's all right. Don't worry about that. You said Psalms. No big deal. But let me show you this Psalm here. Let me tell you why I like this Psalm. I like Psalm 100 because it talks about praise and Lord. I, I like Psalm 95 because it talks about worship. I like Psalm 40 because it talks about waiting on the Lord. I like Psalm 23 because it reminds me that the Lord is my shepherd and because he's my shepherd, I will not want for anything. It also says at the end that goodness and mercy will chase me all the days of my life. I like Psalm 8. I like Psalm 73. I see myself in Psalm 53 and 51 and 62. Psalm 119 is long. But it just helps me to realize that the word of God is not something small and I shouldn't treat it as something just on the side of my life. It's the word of God and I'm to treasure it. 
And I bet you've wondered why we gather as a church. Let me tell you about that. I bet you've wondered why we care about the other parts of the world in Murfreesboro and in the Dominican Republic. I, I bet you've wondered why, why we sing. I bet you've wondered why we give. I bet you may have wondered why you see this happening to Jesus. Now, no, the cross wasn't a defeat. Check this out. The cross was plan A all along. I pray that you have the privilege of being a disciple and making more disciples. And some of you may be sitting there this morning going, oh my goodness, that scares me to death. That somebody would look at my life and try to emulate me or try to, to learn about Jesus through my life. Relax. This is not about what you can do. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do through your life. Amen? So don't let Satan win the moment by convincing you that you cannot help somebody else learn to love Jesus. By the way, Jesus doesn't need a lot of propping up. He's lovable as he is. He is lovable just as he is. You point to him and they'll be overcome. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to do everything right because none of us do. I love how Paul said it. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. I would say that to you as a leader, as one of the shepherds in the kingdom of God. Follow me, not because I do it all right, because buddy, I do not. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's your hope as well. So have you attached your life to Jesus? Have you become a disciple? Have you said, I want to watch, I want to absorb, I want to soak up, I want to listen, I want to study, I want to, to start to think like him and react like him and I want to become like him. Have you done that? And are you engaged in looking for other people who may be lost and blind and spiritually dead and in so desperate in their deepest parts of their heart and you would have the privilege of pointing them to Jesus and saying, Jesus has life, Jesus can make you new, Jesus can give you hope. Jesus is a way for you to know God. Jesus will absolutely change your world. And wonderful, you now, you've now attached your life to Jesus. Let's hang out for breakfast every once in a while. Let's hang out over coffee every once in a while. Did you know there were two Testaments? I hope you have that privilege. I hope you are engaged and not just swelling up as a disciple, but your heart is open and your eyes are open and your ears are open to every opportunity to make more disciples. Because the disciple is always thinking about making more disciples. I want to call your attention to a couple of scripture passages this morning in Luke chapter 5. I want to give you a couple of pictures of some people who attached their life to Jesus and who became disciples of Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, it'll be up on the screen for you as well if you should need that. Um, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
and he got into the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught people from the boat. Get the picture. The people were crowding around here. If you look in the original language and even some other translations, it says the people were pressing in on Jesus. Have you ever been in a crowd going into a stadium or exiting a concert or something and you felt like, I'm just sort of caught in the current and I can't really move and, and I've got to be careful I don't fall because I could get trampled. That was kind of that moment. People were pressing in. There was no sound system. They were pressing in. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted to hear. And they were listening to God's word. And the more of what they heard of God's word, they wanted more. And they were pressing in and pressing in. And Jesus sees these two boats. And I love how Jesus solved the problem. <laughs> Great. The people are crowding in. They probably won't go past the water's edge. <laughs> so here's a couple of guys in their boats. They've been fishing all night. They're washing their nets. That's how you know they've been fishing all night. They, all night. They're now washing their nets and cleaning up after the night's work. And there are these boats. And he gets into the boat and says, hey, I need your boat. Let's push out a little bit. So what an amazing teaching venue. The people crowded up to the edge of the lake, just water's edge, hoping nobody from behind pushes them in. And just off, just a few feet, bobbing gently in the water, is the Son of God teaching. How cool is that? And he began to teach them. I love that he sat down in the, in the boat. Just sat down in the boat. We're just going to have a moment here to teach. Jesus taking care to teach. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, um, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And often when you look at this passage, you begin to realize that Simon's profession is to be a fisherman. And Simon has been fishing all night. And Simon is trying to be polite in this moment. Jesus says, Simon, put down your nets. And Simon's thinking like, Carpenter's son. Um, we, we have been, we've been in that spot all night. And there's nothing there. But because it's you, we'll do what you say. So there's not a lot of faith welling up in Simon right now. <laughs> He's just trying to listen and be obedient. So in this moment... They let down their nets, verse 6. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So can you imagine the little bit of panic that's starting to happen? I myself have never had such a catch of fish. The net gets heavier and heavier and uh-oh, uh-oh, they're starting to hear the sound of the nets breaking. This is their profession. They know all the ins and outs of all of this. And so they signals their, signal their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So two bolt boats had to pull side by side. Jesus is in the boat, by the way. Probably still seated, not at all panicked. 
Can you imagine the scurrying? Grab that. Pick it up. You're losing some. Come on, get it. Oh, my goodness. They pull up these nets. Two boats. Two boats workers worth pull up the nets, and they're dumping all of the fish, not just to fill one boat, but to fill both of them. And in this moment, something happens in the heart of Simon. And it's not because he's impressed with a fishing, fishing skill that he didn't know Jesus had. It's not that he's looking at the carpenter's son and going, good job. A couple of things are already happening right there in the heart of Simon. Number one, he is probably thinking, this is not just a man because he has knowledge he knows all things. He knew right where we should drop our nets. Whoa. He's also probably thinking, this is not a man. Because Jesus made this happen. And I think you and I could do the math that the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who invented the molecule called H2O, who sat on the boat bobbing is the one who could speak to the fish and say, rush all of you into the net. Something happened in the heart of Simon in that moment. And let's look what happens here in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He was overcome in that moment. Now, it could be viewed as a little bit humorous because you kind of wonder if Jesus was like, I'm in the boat. You want me to go away? Should I just walk on the water a little bit? Get out of the boat? or Go away from me, Lord. Simon is absolutely clear that Jesus is not just a man, that he is the Lord. He says, Lord, here. He says, he, understanding that he is Lord. And he is saying, compared to who you are, I know who I am. And I am not at all worthy to be in your presence. I am not all, at all worthy to be next to you or near you because of how great and mighty and amazing you are. I have just witnessed the power of God. And Jesus brings this gospel message. And the gospel message is this. When you take stock of your life and you find yourself really sinful, and all of us have sinned, when you take stock of your life and you find yourself sinful, don't let that cause you to think, well, I could never go to Jesus because I'm sinful. Because listen what Jesus is all about. He's saying, come ye sinners. Come rebels. Come People who've dabbled in dark stuff. Come, people who've had abortions. Come, people who've filled with hate. Come, people who've stolen. Come, liars and cheaters. Come. Because I'm not asking you to clean up before you come to me. I'm asking you to come to me and I'll clean you like you never thought you could be clean. Come as you are. Because what Jesus says to Peter right here, this is the gospel message. He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. But Jesus said, 
Don't be afraid. That's the first half of that. Come on. Don't be afraid. Simon, you don't have to scoot away from me, buddy. I know who you are, and I love you as you are. The second half of that message there that Jesus gives. Come on. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Sometimes we gloss over that last phrase there, but hold on a minute. This was his job. And these boats were part of his overhead. These were his assets, corporate assets. A couple of boats and some nets. And the next day, those were just sitting empty. I wonder how long before somebody thought, I claim those. But he just left them. Simon became a disciple because they saw who Jesus really is. Simon became a disciple because he saw who Jesus really is. Let's look at another scripture text. It's down in the same chapter of this book, down in verse 27. Just a few verses later, some other things had gone on. And then it says in verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Time out. If you're not up to speed on this, maybe you're a, a recent disciple of Jesus or you haven't remembered this in a while, but tax collectors were just sort of like the scum of the world in the Jewish community. They were looked at as traitors. They were looked at as, as just collaborators in an occupied land because Rome was there um, in this land. And the, the, the tax collectors were just, people would almost just spit on them if they walked by. They would mumble under their breath. They would just kind of, that was like worse than being a prostitute, being a tax collector. Because they felt like these people were already in hard times and the tax collector was just squeezing them for more. So that's who Jesus sees here, Levi, the tax collector. Jesus says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Another guy who went to work that day, clocked in, and then left. Just left and followed Jesus. Now what we don't get here in the book of Luke is the rest of the conversation that had to have happened. My sense is that there was more that went on in this conversation. That there was more uh, going on here in this confrontation with Levi, in this moment with Levi. But even if there wasn't, even if there wasn't a whole lot going on, here was this Jesus who Levi had probably heard about going around from town to town and all the things that were going on. Here was this Jesus who was a Jewish man who was willing to engage Levi and love Levi and give Levi attention and say, you count and I'm not going to write you off and I'm not going to spit at you or curse at you and I'm not going to view you as a traitor. I'm going to care about you just as you are. I see the life you're living, but I'm going to love you. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. And he left everything. It says, verse 29, that Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others. When you read that in some of the other gospels, it says sinners. So you can kind of put in the blank there, 
thieves, prostitutes, all kinds of rough and rugged, rugged people. Jesus was at a banquet that Levi threw. I love the fact that Levi, who had a little money, was thinking, my goodness, my world has been changed by this Jesus and I want to show him off and celebrate him and honor him. And I want to invite all my friends. So if Levi in this moment has become a disciple, he is already engaged in making more disciples. And I love the fact that Levi, who had been loved for free and loved just as he was, was inviting the sinners and prostitutes and ruffians and saying, just as you are, come on. There's a little bit of a confrontation that goes on in verse 30. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the super spiritual, judgmental legalists, they belong to a sect, complain to his disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. So Simon left everything and followed Jesus because he saw who Jesus really is. This isn't just a man. I want to go where he's going. I want to attach my life to him. I want to become his learner his student, his pupil. I want to go where he's going. I'll follow you anywhere. I think we sang that a little earlier. Now you have Levi. Levi left everything and followed Jesus because he experienced transforming love. He was loved just as he is. Seeing Jesus for who he is and transforming love is a lot of your story and my story. A lot of us, that's our story. That's what caused us to follow Jesus. No one who is really a Christian became a Christian because they heard a sales pitch and decided to buy. People who are truly Christians see Jesus for who he is and they're radically transformed by his love for them and they want to attach their lives to him. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So there's a life for these people, for, for Levi and for Simon, who before they followed Jesus, there was a life, and then they believed and followed Jesus. And then there's the life as disciples afterward. I want us to, to kind of get some resources and some tools to think about all of this. For those of you who've already believed in Jesus, there's this journey that you're on. I want you to look at these words here. And this is the life that we live as disciples. First, we believe and then we're baptized in obedience with the scriptures. First of all, it's really important. We'll talk about baptism a little bit more. And especially if you're uh, on our email list, watch for a big resource that's coming your way this week about what is baptism. Just some of the ins and outs of that that's coming this week to your mailbox, your inbox. But you believe first and then you're baptized. You're not baptized in order to become saved. You, you get baptized because you are saved. Baptism is an outward symbol of what's already happened in your heart. So you believe, and then you're baptized, and then you belong. 
And then another part of your journey is you become. This is that I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm being sanctified. I'm being transformed to think like he thinks, to react like he reacts, to live like he lives. And then you bring, bring in others. So that's just a little sampling of the disciples' journey. And I want you to think about your life in those ways. A lot of you have believed. A lot of you have been baptized. And a lot of you are in that process of becoming and we need to, to move into that next phase of bringing to make more disciples. But there may be some in the room this morning who have not believed yet. You have not begun that journey. And I want to give you another resource, another tool to help you understand discipleship's kind of spectrum. And, and look at this up on the screen um, today. Let's, let's talk about this for a little bit. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do as a church is we're going to think about faith as, as kind of being represented on this spectrum. And you would imagine way over here at minus five, um, and all the way over here to plus five. And then the, the zero is uh, faith in Christ. That's, that's the time when you put faith in Jesus. That's when you become a believer. And then you start growing and maturing and all these things. But over here on the other side, you've got people who are at different variations and varying levels of not believing. Let me show you some, some markers here on this next slide uh, that'll kind of help you uh, understand some of these things. Uh, just for conversation's sake, maybe the person who's at minus five is just flat out satanic. Maybe they've just said, okay, who's the anti-Jesus, the anti-God? Who's like in direct opposition to the God? Oh, it's Satan. Oh, I want to worship the chief rebel against God. I'm going to become a Satanist. Maybe just for conversation's sake. It's someone who's sort of in that category. Or someone who thinks Sir Pizza is great pizza. Someone there, minus five. Number minus four might be somebody who's just kind of hostile. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And if you talk to them about Jesus, they get a little upset about it. They get mad about it. They don't want to come. And as a matter of fact, if they could find a way to like take us to court and shut us down, they would do that. They maybe from time to time wake up thinking, how can I side, side, how can I sideline these Christians? How can I derail their movement? They're hostile to the faith. Then you may have somebody at the, the minus three level, somebody who's just skeptical. Maybe they're caught up in science, not God-based, God-centered science. Because, by the way, the church needs to love science. We need to be involved in the sciences. We need to be experts in the sciences because everything that is under the category or label of science is actually a reflection of the created universe by the hand of God. Science is not something you should be afraid of. Science will always point its way back to God. But you got somebody who's maybe just skeptical, like, I don't know, glad it works for you, it doesn't work for me. They're not mad at you. They're not hostile. They're not trying to shut you down. And they're also not, you know, sacrificing baby goats or eating at Sir Pizza. And then you've got maybe a minus two. And I put the word searching here. And the way I put this is meaning that there's a longing down deep. I don't mean that they're searching for God because the Bible says no one is really naturally searching after God because all of us are sinners. And Romans tells us that, that each one goes his own way and none of us are, are predisposed to looking to love Jesus. We're actually predisposed to figure out how we can love ourselves more and the stuff of earth. 
But these are the people who are searching. Maybe tragedy has visited their world and they are so aware of how empty they are. And they're like, I, gotta, I, I would love to find something to fill this. I've been trying in a bottle. I've been trying in distracting myself with entertainment. I've been trying in a series of relationships and I have not found anything to touch what's broken in here. And maybe this is a person who's just like, I'm so desperately lonely. They can't even put words to how desperate they are to belong somewhere and to count somewhere. They may feel like they're looked at like they're a tax collector. And nobody wants to be friends with them. Someone who's searching for something. And then the, the minus one, I, I would maybe put this word here, this, they're curious. They're like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to church with you. Okay. Seems to be a big deal in your world. Seems to have changed your life. Seems to be a major deal for your family. Seems to make a big difference in how you go through all the junk we've been going through at work. Yeah, I'll go. You know who also fits in this minus one character, uh, category? People who grew up in a Christian home. Because growing up in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. Hello? Growing up in a Christian home, being around church, going to church, does not make you a Christian. But you're not hostile, you're not Sir Pizza Satanic, you're not skeptical, and you're not really longing, you're really kind of on board. You agree that Jesus is pretty cool. But you have yet to move from minus one to I want to attach my life to Jesus because I've seen who he really is and I've seen his transforming love for me and I want to go where he's going. I don't know where that is, but I want to go there. I will follow him anywhere because of who he is and what he has done in my life and I want to listen to him. I just want to be with him. I want to hear him talk. I want to absorb what he's about. I want to do things his way. I want to go his way because he is the way. And the difference between minus one to zero is eternity. And then on the other side of that equation, you've got the or spectrum. You've got the people who've put faith in Jesus and they believed in Jesus. And now in the plus one side of that, they're, they're growing. They're, they're learning. And, and maybe they're way beyond understanding there are two testaments in the Bible. But they're growing and learning and developing. And then you've got sort of the plus two people who would really just be easily categorized as devoted to Jesus. And most of you in the room are easily in that category. You are devoted to Jesus, meaning that you are passionate about him, meaning that he's a big part of your life, meaning that you don't go, man, I haven't cracked the Bible in a long time. That's not your story, but you are devoted to Jesus. It's not just something on the side. It's not just your weekend activity, but you actively have affection for Jesus in your life. You're not perfect, and you have your bad days, and you have a lot of opportunity to repent. But your heart is devoted to Jesus. And then you got other people kind of growing on into maturity, uh, those who are, are sort of like maturing to the point of being leaders. By the way, you should not put people in leadership in a church if they do not have spiritual maturity in their life. 
Just because they've been around a while, doesn't matter. Just because they're sharp or well-spoken, doesn't matter. Just because they're really good at business or other kind of things, doesn't matter. But maybe that's you. Maybe, and then plus four, you've got people who are, who are sort of ready to teach. Uh, these are the people who've moved to maturity that they are ready to teach. And we've got a bunch of those people as well. And then plus five, just for safety's sake, you know, these are the people who are, are you know, you could sort of say, Apostle Paul is probably a plus five. We, can we agree on that? We pretty, feel pretty safe there. We can put the Apostle Paul in there, um, along there. But this is helpful because everybody on the left side of zero, they are lost they are spiritually dead. They are without God and without hope. Every one of them. And so the minus one kid who grew up in a, a nice Christian home is as lost as the one who's looking to build an idol and sacrifice to Satan. That's really important to understand. Lost is lost. Because it's not about taking bad people and making them good. It's about spiritually dead people being brought to life in Jesus. This is so important for our church to understand this and to think in these terms. Everybody on the left side is lost, spiritually dead, without God and without hope. And everybody on the right side of zero is a child of God, spiritually alive, filled with the Holy Spirit, and full of hope for eternal life whether they're just started growing or whether they're the Apostle Paul. Everybody on the right side is a child of God, spiritually alive, filled with the Holy Spirit and full of hope for eternal life. This helps us think about our own discipleship. And as a church, for a while, maybe for years, we're going to live with this spectrum because it's going to help us think about friends in our lives, but it's first and foremost going to help us think about our own discipleship. Do you know there were a lot of crowds that followed Jesus, but not everybody left everything and followed him? So let me ask you this morning, where are you on the spectrum? Not where your mom or dad is, but where are you on the spectrum? Have you had a moment, and it doesn't matter if you can pinpoint that moment, but have you, have, have you had a moment where you've said, I want to attach my life to his life. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to become a disciple of Jesus. I am believing in Jesus. Where are you on this spectrum? Have you crossed the line of faith to believe and follow And if you haven't, make that moment right this second. There doesn't have to be music playing. There doesn't have to be a prayer with magic words said. But there in your heart, if you see who Jesus is, and you see his transforming love, and you want to become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, then right now where you sit, just say that in your heart to God. God, I believe in Jesus, and I am choosing right now to become a disciple of Jesus.
I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to go where he's going. I want to sit with him, become like him. I want to go his way because I believe it is the way. Do that right now in your heart. This is the moment because heaven and hell hang in the balance. And if you have never crossed over from minus one or minus three to zero, this is the moment to believe in Jesus. Let me give you a scripture passage to kind of help us understand some of this. It's in Romans uh, chapter 10. Paul writes to this church in Rome and he gives them this instruction. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not if you clean up your act, not if you stop cussing, not if you start telling the truth, not if you do away with the porn, not if you get your own life cleaned up, but if you will call Jesus Lord. This is not just a man. This is Jesus, the son of God, the Lord. And I want to go where he's going. I want to attach my life to him. I want to become his disciple. If you will confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What is the, the raising from the dead part? The key part of the gospel is, is that God so loved you. He made a way for you to have a relationship with him. And he gave his son Jesus to come and die on the cross to pay for the guilt of your sins. Jesus died for you. He became the sacrificial lamb for your sins. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. And when Paul writes this, not just the, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the raising him from the dead part is believe that the work's finished. And you don't have to work to earn God's favor. You don't have to be a good boy or a good girl to earn God's acceptance. Your acceptance was paid for in Jesus. And the only way that you get in on the acceptance is by confessing and believing. It's by crossing the line of faith. So have you? Do you see Jesus as not just a man, but as the Lord? Have you gotten a glimpse of his transforming love? Have you stepped forward to say, I believe. I'm going to follow Jesus as a disciple. It's with the heart that you believe and you're justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We profess our faith to declare, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And then we show that symbolically through baptism in obedience. Let's go back to that spectrum just for a moment. I said that this is going to be important for our church. It's helpful for us to think about where we are on this. Where are you? I hope that some of you just two minutes ago crossed the line of faith. I hope that some of you just two minutes ago crossed the line of faith and believed in Jesus. But for our church, we need to understand something. This is going to help us think about the sweet spot for the influence and ministry of our church. Our church is probably not going to exist to really just structure toward the minus fives. Our gatherings on Sundays are not going to be aimed at the Sir Pizza lovers. Our gatherings on Sunday morning are not going to be aimed at those who come in in cloaks and thinking about idols and sacrifices to Satan. 
So we're probably not going to have our sweet spot toward the minus five, but we're probably also not going to gear our gatherings toward the Apostle Paul. We're probably not just going to gear our gatherings toward those who just want to be teachers. So if you're thinking that this church over the years is going to become a place where every other word is a Hebrew definition or a Greek definition for all the teachers who want to understand all the, the beautiful intricacies of God's word, just understand that's not who we're going to be. We're not going to aim at the Apostle Paul. We're not going to aim at the satanic. We're not going to aim even at the, at the, the teachers, really. Our sweet spot is going to really try to live between minus two and plus three. That's who we're going to be as a church. Minus two to plus three. That's our sweet spot at POH. Welcome. Well, what that means then is, is that if somebody, let's go back to those markers one more time, one of those descriptors um, there. So that means if somebody is searching and longing and empty and broken and hurt, come on in to POH because we have this icon that's a picture of stained glass because we believe God is building something beautiful out of the broken pieces of our lives. And our God can take something broken and make it beautiful again, amen? So we're opening the doors wide in hope. And we're also coming to the curious and we're, we're reaching toward them and we're inviting people often to cross the line of faith. And then we're also going to help people grow and we're also going to encourage and challenge those who are devoted. And we're also going to try to raise up leaders. So that's where we're going to try to live. The idea of a spectrum has been around for a few decades. These, so the concept's not original with me. The terms are, are, are my terms for right here uh, in, in our context of POH. And we may change those over the years. And, uh, but it's going to be helpful for us to think about who we are. So I'm not asking you to go out tomorrow and find out where there's a witch coven meeting in the woods. Now, God puts that on your heart. Go for it and take pictures. And, and I say that jokingly, but there's probably one around and they need Jesus because they're spending their lives on something that's not true. But we're not calling you to the minus five, but I am calling you to the minus two. And I'm calling you to grow to a plus five. But here at POH, we're going to really zoom in on the minus two to plus three. So I want us to have that resource, that visual that we'll keep coming back to every so often and talk about. And it's a good way for you to talk about your friends. I've been inviting my friend to church, but they haven't crossed the line of faith yet. That's helpful language. It's helpful language. Oh, really? That person's a new Christian? Yeah, they've just kind of crossed the line of faith. They're just now growing. So what in the world does it mean for us to follow Jesus? One of the most helpful pieces of this is to, to think about attaching your life to his. When the disciples, the original disciples were, just, were following him, it was literal. I don't know if you've thought about this lately, but they were literally following him from town to town. <laughs> like, Pack up the bags, which were just satchels, and then when we get to a new spot, somebody look for firewood, and there's a good rock to lay down up against, and we're out under the stars, and we're talking 
Any of you guys love camping and those campfire conversations or lying in the tent at night or under the stars and just talking? The disciples got to do that with Jesus. Oh. They got to stand in the crowd when Jesus touched somebody's eye and they saw for the first time. They got to be there when Jesus came up on a funeral and there was a woman whose husband had died a long time ago and now her only son died and there was a city outside the city of Nain and they got to be there when Jesus just put his hand on the young boy on the stretcher and told him to get up and he gave this widow back her dead son. Oh, they got to be there. They got to be there in the water when the waves stopped at his command. They got to be there when he walked on the water. They got to be there at all these moments, but they were following him. Can you imagine the questions and conversations? Can you imagine the little pack walking from town to town and maybe some of them were jockeying for position? I would have been. Like, I want to get, I want to hear, I can't hear. You've been asking him questions all morning. I want to get, I want to get up close. They were there when he had to rebuke some of them. They were there when he had to say, I say to you again. <laughs> they followed him literally. How do you and I follow Jesus? Part one of this teaching is sort of an overview of what discipleship is and how to think about discipleship and what, it, what discipleship life is all about. But I want you to, to understand these three things. Following Jesus is being devoted to knowing him through prayer and the word. It's being devoted to learn more of his heart and his ways and being devoted to representing, representing and imitating him. Those three things, being devoted to knowing him through prayer and the word, because you can know Jesus. You can know him. And you can get closer to him. Knowing him through prayer and the word, being devoted to learning more of his heart and his ways, and being devoted to representing and imitating him. You see, Matthew, Levi... And Simon both left their lives. They left the boats and they left the tax collector booth. But Jesus is not calling you to leave your job. Please don't leave your job. And if you're a student who had a big test this week, I'm sorry. Jesus is not calling you to leave school. Mom, I've decided to become a disciple of Jesus. I'm out. School and I are done. I'm leaving my, my school boat. Nope. Jesus wants you to imitate him and represent him in those places. You express your discipleship in the place where he's planted you. In your home, in your job, in your neighborhood, your family, your friendships, all those places. So be devoted to those things this week. To knowing him, to learning, to imitating and representing him. I... Uh, I think about devoted things. The Old Testament, there were some idols that were devoted to pagan worship, and those were destroyed appropriately. At your house, you have devoted things. You have that china in the cabinet that you never eat on. It's set apart and devoted for, it was a wedding present. You've eaten on it twice. You have to hand wash it. You have those hand towels in the guest bathroom. They're devoted to guests. But even your guests look at those and goes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to use your pretty hand towel. 
Those are set apart and devoted to things. But one of the images about being devoted I come to is the image of marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. There's a leaving and a uniting that happens. In the King James Version, it says, A man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. There's a leaving and a uniting. There's a leaving and a uniting. Isn't that a picture of what it is to step across the line of faith to become a disciple? I'm leaving and I'm uniting. I'm attaching my life to his. I want to go where he's going. Where are you on the spectrum? Do you need to cross the line of faith this morning? Or do you need to commit in a fresh way to making disciples?